Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to episode 62 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. My name is Jason A. Meiske. I am your host this week and every week of the show. Our guest this week is award-winning crime thriller author from Down Under, Roger Bray. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss out on that. So who are we? What is this show? What are we about? Well, this is the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. And as always, that book is a published book, so it's one you can run out and grab as soon as you hear that sample chapter. And you know, every week we have a new author, a new book, and a new sample chapter, so you're bound to find something that you're going to like. Maybe it's this week. Hey, you know, Roger's got some thrillers on his hand, so if you've got a hankering for some thrillers, (laughs) I said hankering. If you have an urge for something thrilling right now, then... You know, I think you want to stay tuned to hear Rogers, and then uh, you can go out and pick up his book after you hear it. (laughs) If you are an author yourself, or if you know of an author that you would like me to interview, reach out to us. We are on Twitter and Facebook for social media. You can follow us and reach out to us from either one of those methods. Just look us up at Sample Chapter Podcast, or you can contact us through email at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com. That's usually the best way to ensure it's going to come straight to me because sometimes I know those other methods through uh, through social media, it, uh, it sometimes they get hung up a little bit and I might not see it right away. But the email always comes right on through. So reach out to me, any of those methods though, and I'm bound to find you eventually. <laughs> we'll get something set up. Well, this past weekend I was away. Some of you know, if you were following on, uh, I did a little bit of tweeting here and there talking about what I was up to. My wife had a conference down in the Ozarks here in Missouri, so uh, she needed to go attend this. She was actually presenting, and among other things. So I came along, tagged along, more or less, so I could be with her, uh, chaperoned, chauffeured, <laughs> all of the above. Uh, it was a nice uh, getaway weekend for us as well. But while she was in the conference doing her, th- doing all the things that she needed to do and sitting in on shows, I got to take that chance to do a lot of writing on my new novel. Got uh, several thousand words written, and uh, that was that was a lot of fun. Did a little bit of writing on Friday when we got down there. I rewarded myself by going out and doing a little bit of fishing. Had some good luck. Again on Saturday, I refused to let myself go fishing until I wrote at least 2,000 words. Did that, went out and went fishing, had a great time. And then again that afternoon, I wrote some more. Uh, In all, I think I put in about 5,000 words over the weekend. It was a great weekend. I'm into the climax of my current book, which it's called A Novel Idea. It's a thriller about a... uh, (laughs) Well, you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold off on that. But it's a thriller, and uh, it's got a lot of my writing friends raising their eyebrows at me. And you're going to find out why real soon. Anyway, so I, it was it was great. I had a really good time with it, and uh, you know, using Scrivener makes it so easy to jump from chapter to chapter, because uh, I I would try and think of what I was trying to say in this chapter, couldn't think of it. What did I say? Oh, go back to chapter twelve. There it is, right there. That's who it is. Oh, hey, I forgot this guy's name. What's that character's name? Oh, here we go, right here in the character research. 
Scribner makes it so easy to use and go back and reference what I wrote before or what I said before about a certain character. That way you don't make that mistake of changing eye colors or hair color or you know maybe what their job was supposed to be. I love Scribner and it it's made writing this book so much easier than the first time, uh, my first book that I wrote on Word. And yeah, there's no scroll, 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 scroll. Okay, here we go. That's where I left off. What can I say? I love it. That's why they're a sponsor of the show, because I love them so much. And uh, it's a great product. And like I said, I rewarded myself, which I think is a good thing to do as a writer. Do some writing. Give yourself a reward. Maybe that's go get a little bit of ice cream or go for a walk. Do something else over this weekend. I got a chance to go do some fishing. Had a great time. That's my passion. I call myself the writing fisherman in other circles and uh, actually on my Facebook, my personal Facebook page and my website. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things I love to do. I, bass fishing is something I love. And let me tell you, I, I caught some bass. I had a good time. Um, it was really nice to get to show up a couple guys who were out there fishing with me. And But, oh, my gosh, let me tell you the heartache I felt when I lost a giant bass. Now, I, I realize I'm a storyteller. And I'm a fisherman, so they go hand in hand. But I promise you, this was a giant bass. And I hooked him. I fought him for several seconds before the line broke. You know, all, let me just put it this way. Anybody down the Ozarks, if you catch a giant bass sometime, and in its mouth is a number two gamakatsu hook with a green pumpkin uh, crawdad in its mouth, that's mine. I caught it first. I hooked it first, so give I get a little bit of credit for this giant bass. So <laughs> anyway, it was a lot of fun, and uh, you know, still it was it was great to see a bass that size, even though I didn't get to officially catch and land it. And uh, you believe me, right? You do, right? Really? You believe me? Please believe me. Nobody else does. <laughs> Oh my goodness. As I said, our, our wonderful, wonderful guest this week is award-winning crime thriller author Roger Bray coming to us through the wonders of Skype. Uh, <laughs> he's He lives down in Brisbane, Australia, and you know, I just, I found Roger to be so inspirational. His, the way he talks about writing at any age, uh, the things that he's gone through to get where he is today, because he used to be in the military, he was in the police, he had, yeah, he had lots of things that he went through, and then still went ahead and joined uh, or got into college, and then started writing, been writing for the last couple of years, and look at him now, he's got some award-winning books, he's got some fantastic stories that he's already put together, and I just found him so inspiring to talk to. One of his quotes that he, uh, one of the things he said that I, I, I've got to quote him on was, every story is a good story. And that just really, really sung to me. That That is something that, I, you know, that's, that's just one of those phrases I've got to, I'm going to have to handwrite that out and put it up on my corkboard over the, uh, over my computer because that's just a great quote. And I loved it when he says that here, and you're going to hear that part of it. And it's, like I said, it's, it's inspirational for, not just for myself, but for any writer out there. It doesn't matter how old you are. Go ahead and start writing. Get going on it. You know, I, I'm getting sidetracked talking about uh, writers, but I mean, what can I say? You know, Roger inspired me 
to want to uh, talk like that. So make sure you go to his website. You can read all about him and some of his incredible history of things that happened before he even started writing. Uh, <laughs> another one of the things that you're going to read about, if you go to his website and you read about his author bio, you're going to read about a special guest that was in the background of the show, his cat Gimli. Yes, just like the character from Lord of the Rings. Uh, this is it's his wife's cat who has adopted him. <laughs> and become his writing buddy and in the background you're gonna hear uh Gimli apparently being very jealous that I was occupying all of Master's time because uh Gimli was uh, speaking up and he wanted to be on the show too and it's really cute so anyway but you know enough of me talking about it and telling you about the things you're gonna experience let's just get you on over to that episode with Roger Bray right after a word from our sponsor Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. This week, we are going back down under to Brisbane, Australia, having a wonderful chat with thriller author Roger Bray. Roger, welcome to the show. Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How about yourself? Yeah, good. Thank you. I, you know, this is one of the things I've got to start getting used to is these cross-continental interviews where it's, it's you know evening for me and you're you're finishing breakfast and I just finished dinner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, at least at least we can do it now, does can't we? Absolutely, yeah. It's it's oh my gosh, I love this part of the job getting to do this and, yeah. and meeting uh, wonderful authors like yourself. Well, oh, go ahead. Great. Go ahead and let the audience know a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, my name's Roger Bray. I write uh, crime thriller novels. Uh, I have been doing for about the past five or six years um, after a uh, career uh, in as a police officer, um, as also a member of the Royal Navy in the UK. Um, I'm sort of uh, semi-retired, I suppose, now, but writing full-time. Yeah, you know, and that was something I was reading about in your bio, how you've got other careers, you were in the military, you went into the police for a while, and then at the end of that, you went back to school. And I admire that so much. My wife had done the same thing. She had a career in banking, joined the military, got early retirement a few years back, and now she's in school for uh, in the medical field. And I just, people like you and my wife just amaze me. This is really, really great. Well, <laughs> It, it, I suppose it is really. In my case, it was probably uh, the fact I wasn't a great student when I was actually at school. Uh, student, was, uh, sorry, school was something I endured rather than uh, enjoyed. But I think it sometimes takes people a little while to. Uh, I'm speaking for myself, not, not probably not your wife, uh, but to sort of mature to the stage where they think, yeah, you know, I could have probably uh, 
done a little bit better at school. And I was lucky that I, I got the opportunity to go to university and get a couple of degrees. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I uh, recommend it to anyone who's reached a point in their lives where they're not sure what they're, where they're going or what they're doing. Um, you know, think about education again. It's, um, it's, it's worth it if it's something you're into. Yeah, and you know, my wife had the same feelings with it. She, you know, she she felt she didn't do so well in school, you know, when we were younger either. But she's so enjoying it now, and going back and getting that master's degree and and so on is just so fulfilling and makes her feel ready for whatever our future holds ahead of us now. Yeah, it is. It is. It is fulfilling. And uh, in my case, it was more about uh, personal fulfillment than um, uh, professional fulfillment uh, but it was it was definitely worthwhile it was definitely worthwhile yes yeah what what were you studying what did you get your uh, your master's in uh, international relations oh okay well that would uh, work well in crime thrilling I, I would imagine it it does um, it, I mean a big background to that is international relations and politics is, is theory. Uh, but it, 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 I think it gives you a, um, a better insight into the way things work, really. Um, I mean, I can, I can rant about things now, but I've got a, I've got a degree and a master's degree to back it up. Um, <laughs> which, I, which I didn't have before, which is, uh, which is great. Um, so, but yeah, it does, it, it has helped. I think it's just one of life experiences that, that, that helps towards, you know, who you are. Well, and, you know, and speaking of life experiences, this is something I, I learned about you is you like to write from life experiences or using life experiences in your novels. Uh, can you give us an example? Uh, I, I tend not to use, I mean, look, I think any novelist uh, would, would have to admit that things they write probably do, or some of the things they write probably do come from actual uh, events or experiences. In my case, as a, a, when I was a police officer, I've found that the, the way it has helped my writing is um, I, I've got probably a better insight than, uh, than, than a lot of people on how people react to certain situations. Um, my, my books aren't uh, uh, police procedurals um, simply because I, if it was a proper police procedural, they'd be pretty boring with uh, 10 minutes of action and three, three days' worth of paperwork. Um, but I, I think my experience with people and how they react uh, is, is, has definitely helped me uh, to, to um, form what I write in my books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and I, I agree with that. I think uh, I've got my one book now, I'm writing a second one, and I think people who know me are going to certainly recognize, oh, I know where you got that. Uh, mm. Little things that uh, are in your life that, I think that's where the uh, the old saying comes from of write what you know. I think we take that in a different context sometimes, but really it's just writing about what we're experienced in. And, 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 I, and I think that's all you can do. I mean, uh, I, I wouldn't um, I wouldn't want to write about something I've got absolutely zero experience in. You know, simply because in in some respects, I mean, look, I think all writers do write about things they're not experienced in. Otherwise, books would be very um, monosyllabic. Um, but, um, you know, you can't profess to be an expert in everything. Uh, and I certainly don't profet, pretend to be an expert in, in everything I write about. But if, if I'm not an expert in something, I, I tend to gloss over it a little bit, I suppose, rather than try and put myself out there as, 
you know, an expert on the basis of, um, you know, Wikipedia, um, um, checking and, and, and uh, doing research. Um, because I think people can see through that pretty quickly. Uh, if you, um, uh, put, try and put things out there that, uh, of which you have no experience. Um, but having said that, um, I think everyone's got loads of experience that they can draw upon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you completely. I, I think that's, uh, a great way for a writer to uh, to dive in. Now, uh, you've got uh, three books so far. Is that uh, is that correct? It is, yes. Okay, yeah. Psychosis, The Picture, and Blood Ribbon, your most recent one. Uh, how did uh, tell us about Psychosis, your first book? What was the genesis behind this? Actually, Psychosis was my second book. Oh, uh, the picture, okay. the picture was my first book. Hmm. Um, so, if you still want to know about Psychosis. Um, I, I had an idea of, uh, look, you know, having written a book yourself, you probably realize that usually um, your basic or your first thoughts tend to meander somewhat to, to what actually gets on the page in the end. Uh, but I have a, um, um, a great love, I suppose, or an interest. And, and a lot of this stems from my um, academic area which is international relations human rights all those sorts of things but i do have an interest in uh, a just society and uh, fairness and um, justice um, and in, in some respects psychosis came from that of a person who had been um, unjustly treated um, and unjustly found guilty of, an, of a crime he didn't commit but also psychosis came from a couple of uh, newspaper reports that I read about certain things that, that I thought, oh, that would be an interesting thing to, to put in a book. And it sort of wandered around my mind for a few months before I started writing. Uh, but, uh, that was the, that was the basis of that, that the idea of justice, but also, um, some, some news reports that, that, um, that helped me develop the storyline. Okay. Wonderful. And, and this is something that, my understanding is that you had always had an interest in writing uh, in your younger years before, like so many of us, like myself even, where we got into career mode and it's, okay, we've got a, we've got work to do. Um, can't, yeah, can't yeah, that, that's def <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely right. And I think at my age as well, um, it, uh, I, I, you know, maybe the same thing now, but, but uh, you know, you were expected to get a career um, and, and go out and get a normal job. In, in some respects, I envy people of, of my age who then said, well, you know, actually, I, I want to be a, a poet or a writer or an actor or something along those lines and, and, and something outside the norm, I suppose. Whereas, you, you know, you, you're right, I had a great interest in writing and then it just gets pushed to the background while, while uh, you know, earning money takes over. And that's a real shame because I think a lot of people never get back to being able to write or, you know, write books or music or poetry or whatever it is that they, they had a love for when they were younger. Mm. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, and it, and it tends to take a life-changing event before you finally feel that, that kick in the pants to to get back into it. So, And, and it sounds like you went through that with uh, when, once you retired and then uh, came out of college and you – I think that's about the same time you dove back into writing, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's that's right. Yes, I I didn't so much retire. I was I was medically retired because I was seriously injured at work, 
Um, and that gave me, to be frank, after 18 or so months of feeling sorry for myself, that gave me the impetus to go back to uni or go to uni and get a couple of degrees. Now, if I hadn't been medically retired, I wouldn't have got that opportunity. So I think it's a great example of when one door uh, closes, another one opens. Um, and it was the it was the going to uni and doing the research and doing the writing that that uh, prompted me to to think about writing again. So from a from a bad experience, a life changing experience, it certainly gave me the impetus to start writing again. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. And that's I I love that uh, that idea of when one door closes, another one opens. Uh, for me, for me, it was nothing quite that profound. It was just finding out that I was going to be a grandfather. That's what gave me the kick in the pants. That oh my gosh, I I wanted to be, <laughs> I wanted to have been a, an author and published. And so yeah, that's when I started getting serious. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, whatever it takes, really. I mean, you know, a lot of people uh, reach an age and, and, and decide that their their life's slipping away and they need to to do something, or you know, for, for whatever reason they start writing. But as far as I'm concerned, it's you know, every story is a good story, and um, whatever whatever gets you to where you have to be is is good. Oh, that's great advice. I love that. Well, now your most recent one, your most recent book, Blood Ribbon. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, Blood Ribbon is a book based on it's based in Salem in in Oregon, and it's about a young girl who hasn't had really the best uh, start in life. Um, she, she was abandoned and raised in care um, in, in foster homes and, and foster families before she finally, as um, an, a late teenager, decides to push out on her own. She finishes up just because she happens to like the name in Salem and over a period of time develops friendships and her own life before she's uh, attacked while she's on holiday or she's having a breakaway, she's going to community college at Salem and she has a breakaway to, to, uh, for a weekend to, to get some work done. And while she's walking down the beach, she's attacked and buried alive. And that's the impetus for the, the story that uh, then develops around basically a serial killer in, um, in Oregon, in, uh, on the, the coastal regions of Oregon. Wow. Okay. This is fantastic. And and this is your most recent one. Uh, That's is it you now these part your the covers are so so close and identical the way they look. Uh, are they part of a series? No, they're not. They're, in, they're they're all individual books, although they're all based in Oregon. The the, re, uh, the reason I, I based the the first book, which was the picture in Oregon, uh, well, there was particular reasons why I based it in Oregon, and the uh, the, the next two books. I don't know. I just sort of felt a love for the place and, and, and kept writing in that area. But uh, the, the only link is that they're all based in Oregon, but they're all standalone novels. My next series of book, my next book is based in Europe. So I'm thinking of the, the covers will change uh, in, in some respects to uh, reflect that. Oh, very nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I understand that. Now you see, you got these covers match the location and, you're looking to do the same with your next series. It's in some respects, yes. Okay, well yes. that's fantastic, and they're wonderful covers. I mean, I think they really draw, draw they definitely draw my interest into what's going on with uh, this character that you see and uh, with the background and on. It's uh, wonderful, wonderful covers. 
I, I um, they're, they're professionally done by a, 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 um, a, a company called Deranged Doctors, who you can find on the internet, um, and they're excellent to work with. They will um, put, put together covers, ad infinitum until you until everyone's happy with them. Uh, and I was I'm very happy with the concepts that they um, they put together. Uh, and obviously I've worked with them now for these these three covers and other artwork that I use um, on my website. So yeah, deranged doctors, great great people to work with. Very very much in tune with what authors want, and uh, very much want to give you an individual cover for your own work rather than just you know a lot of generic covers that you see nowadays. Yeah, fantastic. And and so you said your next series is going to be taking place in Europe. When when will we be seeing uh, these books? Well, I'm about halfway through the uh, the first um, or, the, or my next book. It's been a quite a long hot summer in Queensland, and um, I don't write well when I'm when I'm sweating, especially if I'm trying to write as some of these books are of winter in Helsinki when it's 37 degrees in Queensland and I'm sort of dribbling everywhere. I find it very hard to write, you know, cold weather scenes. So I tend to have a bit of a break over summer, but the weather's starting to cool off a bit now, so I'm kicking on. So I'm hopeful in the next maybe seven or eight weeks I'll have the first draft done. Ah, wonderful, wonderful. Well, you'll have to make sure to let us know when that is available so that way I can give a shout-out on the show and a future episode and of course shared on our uh, twitter and facebook page absolutely thank you yeah my pleasure well now where can where can listeners follow you uh i have my own website which is rogerbraybooks.com uh i'm also on um facebook and twitter and i was about to say google plus but since that went down the toilet last week there's no um, Google Plus anymore. But, uh, yes, yeah, so people can find me, Roger Bray 22 on Twitter or uh, Roger Bray on uh, Facebook. Yeah, that's where they can find me and obviously my website. Wonderful, yes. And, I, and it's a fantastic website, everybody. I, you, you really need to go and check it out and, and follow his blog as well. He's got a fascinating blog. And, and you've even got all these uh, mentions on here of other authors, which is fantastic, I should say. Uh, we met through a, uh, a previous author, Ellie Douglas, who uh, recommended you to me, and I'm so happy that she did. So, Ellie, thank you so much once again for connecting me with Roger. Everybody, you got to get on over to rogerbraybooks.com and check this uh, website out and follow him along. I hope so. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, Roger, this has been a lot of fun, and I can't wait to uh, to hear your chapter here. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to get out of the way and hand the floor over to Roger Bray with Blood Ribbon. Thanks, Jason. I'm going to read a chapter from my latest award-winning novel, Blood Ribbon. Chapter 8 A dreamlike semi-consciousness came back to her. She woke enough to realise she was cold, deathly cold and wet. Something heavy was lying on her and she couldn't make sense of it. Breathing was difficult. Brooke could feel the material of her hood on her face, but there was something else impeding her. She tried to move, but couldn't. She tried to shout, but in her half-awake state, she could only move her mouth soundlessly. Panic took over, and she tried to fight whatever it was holding her down. Her left foot felt as though she could move it, and she kicked out, 
up and down, feeling what was holding her down. Sand. She'd been buried. As the thought came to her, she panicked more and tried to take a deep breath to scream, but only succeeded in half filling her mouth with sand. Kicking out some more with her left foot, she was able to get four or five inches of movement, then seven to eight. She was able to draw her knee up as well, and she could feel the sand around her settle under her leg as she eased it upwards. There was no conscious plan, just a desperate kicking up and down, knee bent, knee stretched. She started to open and close her hands using her fingers to make a little space which grew bigger as she tried. She felt sick, her head pounded, and a blackness kept washing over her. Brooke ignored the pain and fought against the blackness. Her only instinct was to get out. She pushed up with her foot, didn't realise for a moment it had broken the surface. Her actions became more frantic, as even in her semi-conscious state, she knew she would quickly run out of energy. If she stopped, she'd die. She knew she couldn't rest and must keep going. It seemed to take forever, but suddenly her leg was free, and she was able to move the right leg as well. With a grunt, she turned her body face down and pulled her knees up until she could force her body upwards using her thighs and pushed herself out of the grave. As soon as her face was clear, she took a long breath, which was a mistake, as the sand in her mouth went down her throat and caused her to cough and choke. She tried to stand, but floundered in the soft stand and was only able to crawl her way into the undisturbed sand where she collapsed. She tried to spit out the sand but couldn't breathe. Her mouth was too dry. She tried to stand, but as she did, her head felt as though it would explode. Such was the pain. The pain saved her. As she sank back to her knees, a wave of nausea swept over her. Before she knew it, the Cajun penna and the two amber rails vomited from her onto the sand and on her thighs, taking most of the sand from her throat with it. She was able to clear her mouth with the moisture the vomit had left behind. She tried to breathe, but started coughing again and vomited the last of her dinner up, which finally cleared her throat. She knelt for a while, spitting out the remaining sand and bits of pasta, trying not to cough, as she knew that the pain it would cause might make her collapse again. When she was at last able to look around, she thought she could see the lights of the seafood bar just over the dunes. Not far, but maybe too far. She didn't know she could make it, but she did know she could not stay there. She tried again and couldn't stand, so she crawled slowly along the beach towards the brightest light she could see until she was able to turn towards the road. There was a rail on a footpath leading to the road she managed to grasp it and pull herself up. She swayed and almost collapsed, but taking a moment to breathe, the pain subsided. She found that being upright wasn't so bad after all. Using the railing for support, she made her way to the end of the path, about 20 feet from the road. Without the rail, she hesitated but took a step and another until her fingers were forced to let go. One step after the other she made it to the road and was about to collapse again when she heard a shout from across the road. She looked up for the first time since her escape remembering that whoever had attacked her may still be around. The man running across the road towards her didn't look angry, just shocked. He ran up to her and put his arm around her for support. Come on, don't worry, I've got you. 
He held her up and they stood on the sidewalk. Brooke sensed his indecision. Now he had her. He didn't know what to do with her. There's a bench just along the road, about 30 feet. Do you think you could make it? She managed to nod and tried to talk, but it could only manage a croak. Okay, let's take it slowly. Leaning on him, Brooke made it to the bench and he turned her around and supported her as she sat down. As she did, she looked up and saw the look of concern on his face. He was older than her, a lot older, she thought, and had she seen him in the street, she probably wouldn't have given him a second glance, except that he looked sick, sicker than she felt. His face was gaunt and his cheeks were shrunken. He looked so wasted away that his face resembled skin pulled over a skull with no substance beneath. His eyes bulged in their sockets, as though the face had shrunk around them. He should be the one sitting on the bench, she managed to think, before her vision began clouding again. She began to slump over on the bench and would have fallen had he not stopped her, trying to breathe but not cough, trying to focus and ignore the pain. It was taking what strength she had remaining to achieve those simple things. A blue light flashed in front of her and she heard the squawk of a police siren. She managed to look up and saw a Lincoln City police cruiser stopped on the road next to them. The passenger, a female officer, came up and squatted in front of her. Are you okay? What happened? Brooke could barely raise her head and the patrol officer turned her attention to the man with her. What has happened here, sir? No idea, officer. I was walking on the other side of the road and saw her down here a little way. I could see she was in trouble even from across the road. What did you do? I helped her. I helped her to hear and sat her down. To be honest, I didn't know what I was going to do next. And then you turned up. When was this? Minutes, five, five at the most, since I saw her. The mail officer finished on the radio and stepped out of the cruiser, walking around the front and across the sidewalk to where Brooke was slumped on the bench. He bent over and sniffed. Drunk? She stinks of liquor and vomit. The male put his hand on her shoulder and shook her lightly. The movement caused the pain to flare and Brooke tried to raise her hand to her head to stop it shaking. He got a small maglite torch from the pouch on his belt and shone it on her. The bright light made her pain worse and she tried to shy away. Reaching out, he placed his hand on the side of her head, then looked at his fingers as he pulled them away. Shit! His partner turned to him. She's bleeding. She's bleeding badly. We need paramedics here. Now. The female officer turned away and began talking into the radio mouthpiece, hanging from the top of her jacket as the male turned back to Brooke. Miss, can you hear me? You've been hurt. Can you tell me what happened? Brooke was desperate to lie down and was slowly slipping sideways onto the seat. No, 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 don't do that, miss. You need to stay with me here. Stay awake and upright, miss. Okay? She didn't care by this stage. Her eyes were open, but she couldn't make any sense of what was going on around her. The EMTs arrived within minutes and realised, as had the police officer, that she was in a bad way and needed more help than they could give her on the side of the road. Brooke felt herself being strapped to a gurney and lifted into the back of an ambulance. People kept talking to her, but she couldn't understand what they were saying, and her answers, if she made any, were lost on her as well. Samaritan North was only five minutes away, a bit less with the lights and sirens. As soon as they arrived, 
Brooke was wheeled into the small emergency facility. The medics alerted to her arrival by the dispatcher took over from the EMTs, stripping, washing and trying to diagnose an unresponsive patient. She was oblivious to it all. Afterwards she thought she remembered the bright light in her eyes at the hospital that made her feel sick. Or was that the cop? It was all one. She couldn't remember. Everything was a blur, figuratively and literally, as she finally opened her eyes but was unable to focus. She's awake. Brooke recognised the voice and turned towards it, still not seeing clearly. Everything was a blur. Dion? Hey girl, he said, taking her hand. How are you? You look like shit. She softly coughed and laughed at the same time, squeezing his hand. Brooke? Nico said softly. She reached out her hand for his and he took it, softly squeezing it and kissing it. She was never more grateful to him than she was at this moment. What happened? She managed to ask as she blinked continuously, trying to get her eyes to focus in the dimly lit room. We were hoping that you could tell us, the older man said. We just got a call. I think they went through your phone looking for family. Luckily, Dion was near the top. They rang him, he rang me. We drove down here like something out of Fast and Furious, even with Nico behind the wheel, and here we are, Dion said. Down? You're in the hospital in Corvallis. What? How? You were transferred by helicopter ambulance last night. Why? Lincoln City doesn't have the right trauma facilities. This place does. You're safe and out of danger, and that's all that matters. Brooke softly squeezed his hand again. I don't remember any of that. What happened? Nico continued. Do you know? Brooke, still blinking, looked towards him. His face was blurry, but in the darkened room she thought that she was beginning to get her focus back. Hit, she said simply. Hit, he repeated. A car? Hit and run? No. Attacked. A stick, something. I don't know. I was buried on the beach. Had to dig myself out. What? Nico spluttered. You're attacked and buried. Do the cops know? I don't know. I haven't spoken to them. Or at least, I don't remember speaking to them. You didn't, Dion said. The cops have no idea what happened. I think they're waiting to see you when they can talk to you. Brooke raised her free hand to her head, but was restrained by the IV line in her arm, and her hand dropped back to the bed. You were attacked, Nico repeated. By whom, do you know? She shook her head softly. What a shit, Dion spat out. Nico muttered, Kotsiros, under his breath, which Brooke didn't understand, but guessed it probably meant something similar. I don't really remember. I had something to eat and a couple of beers and was going to walk back along the beach to my motel. I don't remember much after that except pain and panic. I seem to remember a cop car and a skull. A skull? Nico asked. Not a skull, a face. A man's face, but like a skull. He attacked you. No, he helped me. Her voice was getting weaker and a tiredness came over her. We'll let you sleep, Nico said. No, don't go. I don't want you to go. We'll be back soon. Rest. We'll be back. She didn't reply. She was already asleep. And that was thriller author Roger Bray reading a sample chapter from his latest book, Blood Ribbon. Hey, follow the links in the show notes for Roger and uh, his website, 
his books, and also for our friends like Pop Goes the Culture Network, our sponsors, You Store All and Scribner, also have links in there as well, so make sure you click on those. Don't forget to like us and leave a review, and please subscribe so that way you don't miss out next week when we come back with a new author, another book, and a new sample chapter. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next week.